Welcome to Doctrine and Devotion, a podcast exploring Christian faith and practice from a Reformed Baptist perspective. My name is Joe Thorne. I'm the lead pastor of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois. And I'm Jimmy Fowler, elder candidate at Redeemer Fellowship. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, 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 hey. What you doing? That's really uh, we're just hanging out. Hey, hey, we're doing hey, our thing, watch your what? Know your place, Ed. No, come uh, on now, Ed. This place. is our this thing. This is how we do this things. Is what, this is what we on, set up. We, we come it. in and, you know, we got our questions in order. Mm-hmm. We know what we want to talk about. And we wow. don't need anybody else stepping on our line. Wow. So, sorry. But we do want you to do most of the talking. Yeah, so please do. But we, but so don't so don't shut are. down now. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm Ed, Ed, now I'm irritated. Ed, Ed, oh, oh, good. That'll get him now fired up. He's irritated. <laughs> you want some of this? Yeah, you want a piece we of do. This? Please, we want a couple of pieces of Ed Stetson. I got spare. Come on. So we know you have. Uh, we have. We, we know you have a new book coming out. Yeah. Um, when is it coming out? Yeah. Uh, September of this year. Oh wow! September it's my year. birthday. Get, I bet I know what you're getting me for my birthday. Your birthday is a signed book. You're all of September. Well, no, what, is, what is your birthday? September seventh. Mine September second. No way! Yay! Birthday buddies. Uh, all right. No can... wonder you're both so aggro. <laughs> wow. <laughs> We're Virgos. We're Virgos, man. That's uh, that's, uh, that's how we roll. We don't deal with the occult here at the Billy Graham. Oh Center really? Did College, I? So I'm sorry. I didn't Virgo. mean to. I'm sorry. <laughs> wow. Why don't you get your Ouija board out and we'll figure out how we're best buds. I do have a little portable one that okay, I use good. if I don't know where that, that sounds like Joe right there. So much for doctrine and devotion. Do you know how many Reformed Baptist blogs would write bad things about this exchange? Actually, oh. they're just write bad things, period. Yeah. yeah. No, they all, actually, everybody loves us. We don't get any pushback. We don't get any pushback from the Reformed guys. Every once in a while, it's like Every a particular once in a while, issue. If we, if we do something that we, no, they we all attack embrace one, us. Of their, one of their idols. Yeah. That's, but that's but even neat. then, they're like, okay. Because mm. <laughs> your guys are like, you're like in, man. Everyone loves you. Well, yeah, we're pretty good at what we're we do. Elder, and we're big in Japan. Yeah, well, I understand. I've heard the heard, that, that, heard that. They really love. I'm actually there. big in Japan. Well, yeah, you know, you like, the compa- same size. Yeah, in but Japan. for me, that's wow. big. <laughs> You know, we don't talk about physical features in dismissive ways. Oh, my gosh. Is Wheaton a snowflake zone? (laughs) Is that what it is? Oh, my gosh. It's a safe place. I'd like a safe place. Three times you've corrected us. You don't (laughs) even want to know. I just don't want to be on the same recording with you talking about the height of other peoples around the world. But anyway, some people are short. For you, you're six feet. Jews, Indians, and Japanese people are are stereotypically short. They're Mm -hmm. generally short. Norwegian people are generally tall. That's just science. Science, bro. For those that don't know, Ed... Can you, uh, you know, let us know what you do here? What uh, do you do? I'm, I'm trying to decide. Are Jewish people? Are you saying that in general they're shorter? Is there like is that some truth yeah. to that? Because yep. I would agree with you that some people are shorter, but yeah. I don't. That's interesting. Okay, all right. mm-hmm. I don't really yeah. know what to say. Google what it. I, Google it. What I do here is I try to keep you guys out of trouble with things you say. Oh, thanks. Yeah, hey, you should try that. to keep us out of here. Yeah, really, that's true. it's that's probably true. the safest it's, thing it's to do. <laughs> so no, no I, wonder I, you were calling <laughs> us this morning. You maybe we don't need to meet here. Exactly. We go somewhere else outside of town. So anyway, I lead the Billy Graham Center here. And uh, and I'm the I hold the Billy Graham chair at Wheaton College, and we have uh, lots of ministries: church planning, think tank, rural ministry, think tank, different think tanks, and uh, yeah. uh, prison ministry, and more that we do here. So good stuff. Okay. Now, what's the name of your book that's coming out on cultural engagement? Well, it's specifically called Christians in the Age of Outrage because okay. it's kind of a we're in a weird time right now. Yeah. A lot of people yelling and screaming, a lot of crazy, and from both sides, everybody's lost their mind. Yeah, it is true, and I think you know you people often say, well, you know, we have an outlier president. Yeah, what do you I think mean? That certainly is people. probably. That, that's- that, I'm trying to understand what do you mean because this is a safe zone here. This Ed. is a safe zone, exactly. So you can't say you people. Yeah, you can't say okay. you. Not people. to him. Not okay. to me, Ed. You're, okay. you're, Jimmy's like almost Mexican. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're, you're, he's half Guatemalan or something. It's the same thing. I was born thing. in Texas. I was born in Texas. Okay. So but, near. Okay. Near. But near. your mom is Guatemalan. My mom's wow. Guatemalan. Okay. Well, All right. Continue, Ed. But your dad is I super white. Even no, I'd like to just say that the Lord Jesus has changed my heart. <laughs> And uh, taking away, regretting glad, uh, every moment taking right away now. racism and, <laughs> yes, yes. and all the isms. I, and I, so. I, hate, I hate, I hate racism. I don't. Okay. I like all, some of the isms are good. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Like Cal- regenerism? Calvinism. Is that a thing? You probably <laughs> like Calvinism. Do you like Calvinism? <laughs> yeah, I do like Calvinism quite a bit. Okay, All sorry. right, so your book. Um, yeah. So we, we just thought we would ask you a few questions yeah. Yeah. to kind of get people interested in uh, cultural engagement and how to navigate the volatile, like yeah. hostile yeah. culture that yeah. we're in. Everybody's angry yeah. and people... They can't reason. I don't yeah, know yeah, what's yeah. going and on. And I think I think that's worth noting is that there's sort of a sense when people are responding in in one of different ways, uh, primarily two ways. One, they're just engaging in it. They're just all in yelling and screaming, uh, and they're contributing to the age of outrage. So actually, we actually see that. I mean, some Christians on social media are just crazy. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, you can watch people, and they're just filled with vitriol because they think that the way to move forward their agenda is to be louder, turn it up to 11 mm-hmm. yeah. on the Spinal Tap uh, speakers, and, and, and just kind of push through. And I think that that has come because we've seen, here's the deal, we've seen that work politically. Yeah. We've seen that work. I mean, I remember you reading a book years ago called Winning Through Intimidation. It's actually a real book on negotiating tactics. And I got to tell you, People see it, and they get it, and so some Christians have decided we're going to win through intimidation, yeah. we're going to push through. On the other hand, some Christians are sort of like keeping their head down in the basement. You know, yeah, they're thinking yeah. this will pass. It's like a nuclear bomb, and let's wait till the radiation has passed. And they're kind of hiding in the basement, not just over uh, issues of politics, but over other issues too. I mean, how do we address issues of same-sex marriage? How do we address issues of religious liberty? How do we address issues where we disagree, where our view is now the minority in the culture. Mm-hmm. So I think what you're finding is people are are hiding out in the basement or yelling louder. And I think there's another way, and that is uh, people who are discipled, people who are in church community, mm-hmm. that's showing what it looks like to live different for the gospel. I think it includes people who've learned to speak winsomely and well, and, and I think ultimately learn to be more known for love than their disgust from people who disagree with them right. and more. So then, I mean, Ed, you just said, you just talked about discipling people, right? Yeah. And so everyone's on social media. A, a lot of our congregations are. So how do we disciple our congregations in their social media use, right? Like at what level should pastors get involved and be aware of their congregation's time or use or what they're sharing online? Yeah. So, I mean, of course you can't tell people what to tweet probably, but here's what I would say. I mean, when was the last time you taught on this subject? When was the last time you said that, you know what, because this is where now the majority of people are spending Sometimes the majority of their time, that, that's probably, I shouldn't say the majority of their time, I don't know for sure, but people are spending hours a day yeah. on social yeah. media. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I would uh, teach, so rather than police, I would teach. Now, sometimes you have to police. I mean, I've actually, <laughs> I've actually had to block people from the church I'm serving right now. And I actually sent some of them to the, to the elders and said, listen, you need to just deal with this because these people are just, you know, going all over my page. Now, to be fair, just, you know, I'm a public commentator, so people get riled up where you yeah. guys aren't. And you you have you have some some sharp words at times to say. Yeah, you got to they're, they're, they're measured and good, but they're sharp. Yeah, uh, so I am not edge. a subtle man. An edge. <laughs> edge. I have an edge. Um, but so what I would say is is that I do think that by teaching up front, we can help people see. I mean, what does it look like to use social media for the glory of God? Now, I don't think it looks like what uh, what John Piper has turned Twitter into, which is a proverb machine. Mm-hmm. I mean, John Piper just never ending, sending out tweets over and over again with Bible verses and don't do this and do that. And I've, I've told him that. I've, yeah. I've joked with him about that. I think you should have fun. I think you should interact. I think sometimes yeah. you can push back. I do all those things where there are some people, Rick Warren was doing this for a while and I yelled at him. Um, and but where what has to happen is it is a conversation, but but at the same time, is it the kind of conversation that we'd have across a, a kitchen table sitting down with somebody? So what I would say is teach people that. If the moment we're living in is a moment that we've never experienced before and that all of a sudden there's whole conversations and lives being lived online, shouldn't we be discipling people and preparing people well for that? Yeah. We teach them 
Cultural engagement. I mean, this is a great area of cultural engagement right now for us. So then are there good examples? Are there there good examples of Christians on social media that are doing this well? And like what makes them successful in, in, I guess, representing the truth or engaging people uh, in a Christian way? Yeah, I think I think there's a consistent, intentional uh, gentleness that people have. I think of people like Trevin Wax. Think of how Trevin mm-hmm. Wax writes mm-hmm. and writes well yeah. uh, and kind of lays these ideas out. And he, he recognizes that people may differ and people may disagree, but he does so in a winsome and mm-hmm. a gracious manner. Uh, think of people like, uh, like I, I think Chandler does, Matt Chandler has done well with that, communicating some nice hard truths right. uh, a, 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 as well. Um, I think of, um, and I think of people, you know, unfortunately I can think of some people immediately that would wouldn't fit into that category. Some very yeah. prominent writers and bloggers and people on social media. So what I would say is, is if we look at the example of Trevin and, and, and others, is they're, they're not caricaturing others' views. Uh, one of the things I, I try to ask myself is, would somebody else recognize, if I wrote about them, like I wrote about Shane Claiborne today, and would Claiborne recognize, Claiborne, I'm saying it wrong, would Claiborne recognize his views, because I, I critiqued some of his views that mm-hmm. he's very much involved in social justice. He said he's pro-life. In his most recent book, he said, I'm pro-life, but kind of want to broaden the agenda. And yet I didn't hear anything this week after the Senate voted right. uh, to voted down with overwhelming Democratic support. Uh, the, uh, the, 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 we didn't the get to cloture, I guess we would yeah. say, but the, the, the pain-capable mm-hmm. act. And I, and I just wrote an article. He was, uh, again, no, it wasn't like specifically pointed at him, but since he's just written on this and had the book, mm-hmm. but we see a lot of progressive evangelicals. So what I would say is, I give him the benefit of the doubt. I think probably I think that, but we need voices in the midst of the issue. So if there's a bill, and I know he's very concerned and right and and rightfully so about issues of poverty. Um, well, if there's a, I remember very loud and very clear uh, that I didn't like the tax bill. Um, but uh, I got to tell you, that was a pretty big vote this week while we're recording this of issues of life. So again, um, so, so in any case, we're trying to write in such a way that people would recognize their own views. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always try to write. I wrote an article about how you know there's there's this idea that evangelicals were moving on. Same-sex marriage. So we're going to affirm that. Matthew Vines has sort of worked towards that. Brandon right. Robertson and others. And so I wrote an article where I said, you know, this is not the case. Actually, what's happening is, you know, InterVarsity has sort of said you can't work in InterVarsity if, you, if you're if you affirm same-sex marriage. Um, uh, you can't write for uh, Christianity Today in this space on this topic. You can't. I mean, Fuller Seminary, Daniel Kirk, is no longer there. And he wrote an article that he subsequently took down, but talking about as it related to his view on same-sex marriage. So what I wrote is, no, evangelicals are actually just clarifying what they've always believed. Well, yeah. Well, I appreciated Matthew Vine's response. He said, because I wrote in there, I can see how that would be hard and hurtful if you were working for the change that uh, that I think Brandon and Matthew and others were doing. And he wrote and kind of responded to, said, you know, appreciated how I, because at the end yeah. of the day, um, I'm not, I don't hate any of those people. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we disagree on some things. And, and the reality is, uh, Matthew Vine's and Brandon Robertson, I mean, they're the majority view in culture now. And so um, the majority of you in culture, the culture has moved on on the same-sex marriage question. Um, and and for us, how are we going to respond in the midst of that? Well, so I could get on there and not try to understand people who disagree with me. So I try to understand people who disagree with me. I try to represent them fairly. And then if I have a disagreement or a critique, I use that accordingly. So I think when people do that, um, it's an acknowledgement. So let me give you an example. Right now, these religious liberty issues. And uh, it's really a big hot button issue in culture right now. All right, so you know, Wheaton College was in the middle of that. We right. sued the HHS over the uh, the Obamacare H- uh, contraception mandate yeah. uh, because of the more efficient drugs and things of that sort. Well, you know, so what do we do in this? Well, we're going to have to come 
to a place where we recognize the rights of religious people like us who have genuine, uh, genuine religious objections to some of these things. But the reality is we have to reconcile that to a culture that actually has a different view and a culture that's afraid that our exceptions will mean that that a same-sex couple will be refused service at a restaurant mm-hmm. uh, and, and or a hundred other things. So I, I think for all of us, we need to recognize, this is where compromise is going to come in too, we're going to have to come to a place where we acknowledge that we all got to share this space. Uh, and I think the Obama administration sort of overreached. I think, I think uh, I mean, when you're fighting consistently with the little sisters of the poor about whether they should have contraception, that's that's an overreach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and well, 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 you know, I've actually Trump administration has made some different changes there that I find more to my liking. But at the same time, we got to make sure. For me, I want you to hear this. I want to make sure that uh, that LGBT individuals uh, don't don't uh, don't end up in situations where they are unjustly targeted or right. or bullied or more. So I think when we begin to think that way, that's a different way of thinking. That's more like Jesus. Do, yeah. do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I think that's the moment that we're in. And so I think good writers and thinkers in that space are helping to think, what are the implications for others? It's So much of this is driven by fear. Yeah. Am I going to lose my space in culture? Am I going to lose right. my rights? And what I would say is fear, okay, I get, I get it, fear, fear wins elections. We've seen that. But what I would say is let's also drive it by the golden rule. Mm-hmm. How are we going to say, all right, you, we got to make sure your rights are also protected, but ours are as well. So the the cake shop, you know, that gets to the Supreme Court has to maybe be in that conversation. But so does the fact that that nobody should be refused service at a restaurant because of their uh, because of their sexual identity or their same sex uh, in a same sex marriage. Right. So I think that's in in the the journey we're on is a little bit tricky. So then, how can churches use social media uh, and and all the technology that goes with that to engage their communities? Yeah, I think we see some already doing so. Um, actually, Steve McCoy, one of the things I liked about Steve, our, our, all of our mutual friend, is when he was in Woodstock, he was sort of the Woodstock guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so he didn't. He wasn't just social media. There's a thing, and it's called in South Florida. Whenever I'm at Christ Fellowship Miami, I see them tweeting, you know, about businesses, and then mm-hmm. and then you know, or activities, and then they're mentioning church. You know, and we'll be at church this week, and go to come to Christ Fellowship. So I think. You much like you engage a culture, you engage social media. You enter it, you inhabit it, and having inhabited it, you ultimately then um, speak within it, from it as part of a community. I, I don't know, you know, if, if you guys are at um, at your is Redeemer, Redeemer, yeah, Redeemer yeah. Fellowship. You know, I mean, Redeemer Fellowship's Twitter account tweeting every hour, come visit us, come visit us. It's probably right. not the strategy, no, no, but a place where people can engage in more. The problem I have is is that I'm a uh, my, my most of my uh, constituency is pastors and church leaders. So that's who I tweet to. When you got me, Joe Thorne and Steve McCoy got me on Twitter and Facebook, I knew that from the beginning. Right. S- but if you're a pastor, I think your constituency yes. is actually your community. Right. Yeah. Because my community mm. is the pastors that I'm, I'm, I'm influencing or hopefully encouraging. So, so I think that's the distinction. But I think you can and you should use social media in those productive ways. So, so but at what point is it not productive anymore? At what point is it just a distraction uh, and goes against what you're trying to do? Yeah, and I do think it can get there. I think ultimately um, social media can become very um, overwhelming to some people. Uh, We actually, I mean, for my kids, I have uh, three daughters. They're all awesome. Uh, One who's a teenager has chosen to stay off, completely off social media. Wow. She doesn't want to be on Instagram. She doesn't want to be on um, 
on Snapchat, she wrote a paper on uh, the effects of these things and how it causes depression and unfair comparisons and all this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And she's like, just forget this. I don't need this in my life. That's cool. So, <laughs> and But the, the younger one is <laughs> quite the opposite. And so she's for normal. her, she's normal. She's normal. <laughs> but for her, we actually have to put guardrails. I mean, these are addiction oh, machines. Yes. Yeah. And so we say, you can come home, you can be on some social media, uh, then you got to do these things or whatever, uh, you know, and then you could do another hour at this point. But but so in parenting, for me, is always going to include, I mean, today, it's kind of like discipleship. You know, so much takes online, so much takes place online, relationships, so much takes online. You got to disciple your kids on yeah. online as well. I think that's a key thing. So then, but I mean, specifically, what I'd like to know is, yeah. in the church, though, for the church, for churches using social media, at what point? Is it counterproductive? At what point does that become a distraction to the church itself? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think I think ultimately it can become an issue at any stage when it's sort of driven, uh, sort of driven by um, driven by social media. Now, now, now. Again, if it's evangelistic, if it's intentional, whatever else it may be, I think in all of those cases it can be good. But at the end of the day. You know, we're not looking to gather community that's about electrons and avatars. We're gathering community that's about feet and faces. Mm. So it's a tool. It's not the goal. The goal's community. Uh, Facebook isn't real community. It's it's it can be come alongside to assist real community. But in the body of Christ, right. that countercultural moment is: I'm looking at your ugly face, and I'm saying, "Man, you you need to work on this in your life." And you're speaking to my life, saying, "I got to work on this in my mm. life." So I think. I think social media, I mean, the whole Second Life idea, you know, there's a whole, there's yeah, a whole program yeah, yeah. and whatever. But Second Life really means non-real life. And where you need Jesus the most is in your real life. Yeah. And you actually got to get life on life to actually get there. So with, with, with churches, some perhaps effectively using social media, Christians hopefully learning to do this better as they're engaging the culture, uh, we see pastors you know, and, and leaders. We, you've mentioned a few already, like Trevin Wax as, a, as an author, um, uh, Matt Chandler as a pastor. Yeah. Um, is it, how do you feel about um, pastors building their social media platform? And I don't, I don't even mean to say that in, in a way that would imply that in it's a negative, negative sense, yeah. right? Because uh, you know, Jimmy and I have a, have a social media platform, yeah. uh, and we don't think it's a bad thing. But uh, it, are there dangers with, um, with social media platforms uh, for leaders and for pastors in particular? And if, if not, how is it useful in discipleship? Yeah, I, I think there are dangers, and I think ultimately, you know, we've seen some of the ideas that people uh, get their identity uh, from. That um, it was it was about I don't know a few years ago. I, I I put out a tweet, and I said, from now on, I'm only going to measure my self worth based upon how many people retweet or reply to my tweets, and I'm only going to reply to people that are important because they have enough Twitter followers. <laughs> and I thought that was it's funny, evidently hilarious. Yes, but people were like, I can't believe you're doing that. You're such a jerk, et cetera, et cetera. So, so, and I think the reason they, they said such a thing is clearly there is enough people that actually would think that. And yeah. then I, as I responded, I saw people saying, well, actually, that's what we see. So particularly some, what they put some famous Christians, they only respond to other famous Christians, right. not to the, to the rabble, as yeah. the person said. Mm-hmm. And what I would say is I, I think that's not what we want to do. Is if, if you're a pastor, a church leader, a Christian, I mean, you want to engage in other people's communities as well. So, for example, and I'll just confess to you early on, um, I, 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 uh, I was on Facebook, and now I'm, I'm off Facebook as an individual user. So I, I was actually just come to a point where you have to get a, uh, it's called a fan page. I don't really yeah. like that, but it's called a fan page. Because you get 5,000 friends, and it, you exactly. can't have any more. Yeah, it's exactly, a that's a limit. Yeah. Joe Thorne's got one. Joe okay. Thorne's got a fan page. Yeah, he like worked mm-hmm. that in there. Um, the, so, so what happened, though, was having the fan page, um, I actually one day was... Um, 
looking at it, and I, and I, I was with someone named Lizette Beard. Some of you know oh, Lizette. I know, yeah. And so I asked Lizette, oh, I'm trying to figure it out. So, so how do I see what other people are saying? Uh, and of course, what she just thought was that I actually didn't know how to, the only thing I look at is like people on my timeline. Well, I couldn't get off my fan page and there wasn't a way to get right to, cause I don't follow people. I, I follow three people. I follow my daughters and uh, I don't even follow my wife on Facebook, but I follow my daughters. So I know if they're posting anything there, cause that's being a parent. But the reality is, I mean, there was a sense it was funny cause she, she's been making, she made fun of it for years, but the assumption was that the only way that I knew what was going on, on social media was people interacting with me, which actually wasn't true. Um, but I think that's the case. So how do you, if you want to be effective on social media, don't just wait to people comment on your stuff. Right. And go comment on people's you stuff. You got to engage. Yeah. And and see when they share a joy in their family, when they've experienced a hardship. So so you know, that scroll through can be, you know, an intentional thing. You know, I um you know, I don't do that cuz I don't have the same feature, right. but for me the way I do it and I try to do it is um I was driving last night and uh I forgot where I was going. Where was I going? I was driving to Georgia. And uh and I I tweeted out, "Hey, if you're um, a small church pastor. Oh yeah, so yeah. You're under 100. Um, you know, send me a DM, and I, I'll call. I'll pray for you. I'll encourage you, or I'll uh, give you advice. And so then I spent just two hours doing that. You've been doing that for a long time. Yeah, I've actually. done it for years. You've, I mean, I've I've seen you do that. You'll say like, I'm going to be in town. If your church is 100 or less, I'll be happy to preach for you if you want to break. And you yeah, know, like that's a mm-hmm. that's a pretty big. Well, uh, I love doing that. Yeah, but part of the reason is it's my it's my way because I can't do the Facebook thing. Right. It's my way of saying, hey. How can I minister? And I just, I, I love it because, I mean, just last night, I mean, I talked to uh, a family, a, a woman uh, and their church, I'm trying to remember where it was, San Diego. And, uh, and I can't remember her name. I feel terrible now. Um, uh, and Ochari. And we prayed together about some of the things they were doing as a church. And then I, I called another person, Iowa. And then someone from Nigeria, I, I didn't get theirs in time, but someone from Nigeria. But in doing so, it's the equivalent of turning technology from a distraction to a mission. Yeah. And so for me, and, and you know, I had probably 15 people, and I couldn't get to them all, but I say that, and then I send notes to those I can't. But every one of them, so what I would say is when you scroll down, now I had to actually have people come to me through a direct message on Twitter, uh, but when you have a Facebook scroll and you can scroll through and maybe you've made friends of friends, man, just look and say, how can I use this for God's glory and God's mission today. Mm-hmm. And you know, my wife's a scroller through Facebook, and so she'll look at it and see and then text somebody outside of that typically. But I would say do it publicly. Mm. Let people see on your neighbor's Facebook page. I mean, not like creepy. My, 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 uh, I have a certain relative who kind of posts on my kid's page, and they're like, Dad, tell her to stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm not talking about that. But but to be that person who other people look at and say, man, something's different about that person keeps responding. And and so I think you can turn it from a negative ultimately to a positive. Well, we want to ask you a couple more questions, yeah. um, but maybe you could just speak to this issue of outrage. Yeah. Um, where is this intensity coming from? Because it's not just coming from one political side. No, it's not. So why? why you mad, bro? Like, yeah. why is everybody so intense? Uh, what, what do you think is behind that? What's driving yeah. it? Yeah, so you mad, bro, is a good way to put it. And I think a lot of people, part of the reality is there's a lot of anger because I think anger is a lot driven by fear. Mm. And we're in a great reordering of society right now. Okay. Is that um, right now what's happening is, is people are sort of, uh, the, the, the rules are changing. Uh, you can think about, I mean, manufacturing. We saw... We saw an angry part of America stand up because they've lost so much in manufacturing. Well, I mean, that's a huge shift. I mean, the whole middle class was built on the idea of the manufacturing. Now people are afraid. What's the future yeah. hold? Or 
immigration. You know, people, mm-hmm. Americans are always very welcoming to immigrants, except they're, when they're afraid because of their economic implications. And so I think fear drives a lot of this. I think a lot of reason Christians are mad is they feel that they've lost Christian America, that they've lost their home field advantage. Mm-hmm. Someone stole it away from them, right. and they're upset about it. And I think uh, a lot of uh, people in the LGBT community are afraid that that they're going to be forced to, to uh, backtrack on issues and more and, and the freedom that they have. So I think so many people afraid of losing their uh, rights or opportunities. And the reality is, is sometimes you have to, there are going to have to be compromises of what that looks like. So, so I think we, we live in a world that is very much built on opportunity. You know, Can- mm. the Canadian, uh, the Canadian motto is, is, uh, is, is peace, order, and good government, right? Ours is not. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's all individualistic and we're going to fight for it and more. And so I think we've created a world where in the midst of one of the great shifts, everyone would say we're in a great shift culturally. Yeah. And that's created a lot of fear. A lot of fear turns up the volume. And I think as the volume goes up, people are just fighting for their situation. You know, I, I know one of the things I've noticed um, being in a denomination, someone from my denomination, his name's Frank Page. He said to me, I said to me, why are people so upset all the time? There's some traditionalists who are upset and these young pastors are upset and Calvinists are upset and anti-Calvinists are upset. And what he said was this, everyone's afraid they're going to lose their place at the table. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and it's not, it's not even that, and they're afraid that everyone else is trying to push them yeah. out of the table. And what he says, we just got to help people understand is that there can be a place for everyone at right. the table. We got a big table. It's a big table. Mm-hmm. And I would say that when it looks to the, where the country where we live in, and we're going to share this space, not just this country, right. but the English-speaking Western world, we're in a great shift around sexual ethics. We're mm-hmm. in a great shift around individual liberties. We're in a great shift around the decline of religious, uh, of religious uh, identification. You know? and, and so in the midst of that, everyone's saying, is there a place for me at the table? So we're going to have to. Now, I would say, too, the current administration has not made it feel that there's a place at the table. I mean, President Trump, we're recording this right after the State of the Union yeah. speech, and and did a good job calling for unity, but calling for unity in front of the people. He called Dickie Durbin, Pocahontas, Lion Ted, and others. So, I mean, how do you how do you do that? Now, again, President Obama uh, didn't help here either. Right. He talked early on about building bridges, mm-hmm. and then by the end of his administration, was very clear that. In many cases, people of faith weren't welcome to yeah. some of these conversations. And, and President Bush was seen as this. I mean, so we, we have this. I mean, the polarization just keeps growing. We can blame Trump for re- with reasons. But the polarization keeps growing, and it was polarized under Obama as well, largely because I think in all the— I, I think right now Hillary Clinton would probably be president of the United States if she had said, and we're going to make place for evangelicals and make sure that we protect what they're doing. We're going to make place for this and this and this. But— that's not what happens. You appeal to your base at mm-hmm. the expense of others. And so, you know, so in Hillary Clinton's case, um, she actually relaunched her campaign. She won the Democratic primary, relaunched her campaign from Planned Parenthood and made very clear there's not going to be any place for evangelical concerns right. about some of these issues. So I think fear and fear at not being at the table leads people to be angry. Mm-hmm. And I think we can show a better way. So then how does the church show a better way, right? How does the church at the local level uh, address this this outrage and bring hope? Yeah, and I, I think ultimately we see some of that already. I love what uh, Jim Daly has been doing at Focus on the Family. He's been hosting some conversations with the uh, LGBT community mm-hmm. and saying, how can we get to a place that we can live for together and fairness for all and things of that sort? I, I like what churches did after uh, after Ferguson. 
uh, I think uh, uh, Darren Patrick, who at the time was pastor of the journey, uh, he gathered together leaders across racial lines and said, what does it look like? I mean, they're right there in Ferguson and others have as well. Um, uh, Rick Warren did the same thing and and gathered together, I think, 100 pastors right after Charlottesville. And so what does it look like is to gather people, sometimes people with differing views. Now, this is not always easy. I remember when I was a pastor years ago and we were about to build a road through to get to the other side where we could park on our mm-hmm. church. And man, the neighbors were so mad. Now, we were there before the neighbors. Yeah. Our building, we, we bought a building that was there before the neighbors. But but man, they, they just had these things that we were going to be running 18-wheelers through. And so what we did is we opened up our church. We all came in and we gathered together. We had a hard conversation. One guy swore a few times. We didn't freak out. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had this conversation. I said, listen, we want to be good neighbors. They're like, you want to be good neighbors? I said, yeah. And and, he's, and and someone said then, well, you know, you guys were here before us. We all knew that the church's plans was eventually to have parking back here. And I said, yeah, it's sort of in the deed. And uh, and, and, and so what what by having the conversation, in, in a sense, we opened our table literally mm-hmm. inside of our church building, had a conversation with our neighbors. Now, you, you can't settle every zoning thing like that. Everyone no, no. everyone wants the zoning laws not to apply to you and only to protect them. But we walk through that together. So I think churches can do those things. What does it look like to have some of those hard conversations? I love what Bob Roberts has done with, uh, with, with Muslims, where he's actually had conversations with Muslim imams and Jewish rabbis. Um, and, and in doing so, I mean, Bob. Bob is you know, Bob. Bob. Bob is fascinating to watch sometimes, and I might not do everything the same way. But how many conversations have Christians had with Muslims to really understand? Because all they see is the crazy stuff, uh, and it's it's actually something called the availability heuristic, is that people see, and what they see, they assume. That's why people. When you watch the news and you see a lot of young African American men who are arrested, it feeds into your idea that young African men are so and so. And so the same thing with Muslims. So why not have that conversation? Yeah. So again, I think I think a key theme is setting the table, having conversations around that table with people who differ, having ground rules around that table, and doing so in a way that honors Christ. Even when when there's hostility, even when there's suspicion, uh, like how how do you kind of go about that to address those? On the front end. Well, I think that's part of where courage comes in. You really have to have courage to get through the age of outrage. And courage comes in when you're going to be, when you're willing to be the person to reach out to the person that you're not supposed to, right? Mm-hmm. And But this is, look at the life of Jesus. I mean, this is, how many times does Jesus have to poke people in the eye about Samaria? It's the good Samaritan. I mean, there's no any good from Samaria. This is the land you walked around because there are a bunch mm-hmm. of liars and worship a wrong God and bad morality. So he talked about the good Samaritan. He taught the woman at the well who was Samaritan. And oh, and then he says from Judea, uh, Jerusalem, Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. So somebody has to go to the Samaritan, which is the person that your people don't like, mm-hmm. that your community, that your table, if it was just by itself, that they wouldn't go to. Uh, and so then somebody in the way of Jesus goes out, builds that bridge, builds that relationship. And again, you'll find you get shot for that sometimes. How are, why are you having these conversations with these People, I mentioned Jim Daly earlier, and and he got some heat for that. He's like, "How? Why are you meeting with these people? They're, they wanna, they wanna, uh, they wanna wipe us out. They wanna destroy us." And what Jim found is some of the leading LGBT activists they they weren't out to destroy anybody. They just didn't want to have their rights trampled on. Now, again, right. their rights and the level of their rights we might disagree with. Mm-hmm. How that impacts us? What does that mean at a Christian school when it comes to married housing? I mean, really, you got these are questions that you got to ask it at, at a college. What does it mean? in a Christian school for married housing. Well, LGBT advocates would say something different than you and I would say. 
But we're going to have to get to the place where we can have some of those conversations, which are not so easy, but are deeply necessary. Man, this is uh, this is encouraging and exciting for us. This is stuff that, that we value. Um, yeah. we, we're trying to figure it out. We're trying to figure out what does it mean to be a Christian uh, today in uh, the 21st century, this post-Christian context, uh, whatever it is. And so I'm really eager to read your book. I'm, oh, gracious, I'm really thanks. excited. Christians in the Age of Outrage. Yeah, now this, this will be out. This podcast will be out long before it is, but okay. it'll come out in September. Great. And, uh, and then we'll be doing some. Maybe we'll do another podcast. And, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, we, can I, we do it at the cigar shop? Uh, we can do it at the cigar I'm just excited about the fact that um, the, as the volume has gone up, as it's gone up to 11. Yeah. Know, that's mm-hmm. a Spinal Tap reference, yes. which I know you get. Oh, yeah. As it's gone up to 11, there's increasingly a number of Christians who says, this can't be the way of Jesus. Right. And mm-hmm. I want us to figure out how do we walk the way of Jesus when everyone else is yelling and screaming, they don't have their place mm-hmm. at the table and they're mad and upset. What would it look like to minister grace, to live a loving, winsome approach, to, to be like Jesus? doesn't mean you're wishy-washy, because one of right. the things, I, I want to hide in the basement. I want to be honest about yeah. things. We differ about things with yeah. the culture. But at the end result is, I think... Because we're going to get through this, right? So 10 years from now, a lot of these outrage things are going to be done and settled. And the only question is, this is key for me, because again, you're going to have to settle these things. You can't keep going back and forth from one administration to the next on LGBT and religious liberty. So, right. so 10 years of Supreme Court. So ten, the only question is 10 years from now is, will we have burned so many bridges on the journey that ultimately no one will listen to our gospel witness? I think we can go a better way and a different way that causes us not to engage in the outrage but to live counterculturally. You know, it's almost culturally relevant now to be outraged. Yeah. So we mm. live we live counterculturally, and I think that's the way of Jesus. Awesome. I'm excited. Uh, they can follow you uh, on Twitter, at Ed Stetzer. They can go to edstetzer.com, and uh, they can look you up on Mission Group. Yep. Uh, all of Ed Stetzer's resources. I think uh, they get that at edstetzer.com. Mission Group's one of the tabs there. Oh, there you go. Yep. Awesome. There you go. So Wonderful. check that out. Yeah, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Doc and Devo or on Facebook slash Doctrine and Devotion. You can head on the website, DoctrineDevotion.com. There you can contact us. You can sign up for the email blast. You can hit up the store and sign up for the 2018 Doctrine and Devotion Conference on the Spirit and the Church. Fresh pod every Monday and Thursday. Blog posts on Wednesdays. Video content eh, we'll around get to the it. Time. Hey, we just recorded a bunch. So we just recorded a bunch. It'll be, it'll be yeah, regular. It could be years from now. Could be, well, well, no, 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 no. All right, sorry. Later.